0: Uh, Before I get to my message, I want to do a little bit of a quick review of uh, the, the series that we've been covering through Pastor Chris. And a couple of weeks back, we started with what he shared, which was 2020 vision, which is our vision for 2020. And basically, some of the things that he shared is that he wants us to be the kind of church that can make a positive difference in this world. And we really do that by putting God first in everything that we do, okay? Um, He talked about uh, stewardship, which is basically the principle of first. It means, uh, definition of stewardship is utilizing and managing all the resources that God provides for the glory of God and for the betterment of His creation, a.k.a. we take care of each other, how we take care of each other, and everything else that God made for us. That's really what it's all about. But before we can do that as a church, we really have to learn how to do that as individuals. Um, we have to learn to become better stewards or managers of everything that God has given to us or put in our path, okay? And by doing that, we honor God, and in turn, God honors us. So it's a, it's a pretty good circle. So last week, Pastor Chris mentioned about priorities, because that's the next step in understanding how we can serve others. Um, And for those around us, you know, what's important in our lives? What's important in your lives? Um, What do you think about? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your money in? What do you invest in? That really determines what your priorities are. Um, So what are your priorities? Most of us have good priorities. We have family. We have career. We have school. Friends, health, exercising, sports, vacation, entertainment, attending church, obviously basketball, right? So we all have priorities, but the question is, you know, do we have them in the right order? Okay? Most people don't have bad priorities. Some people do, but most don't. But do we have the priorities in the right order? So what I want you to think about is, you know, think about your priorities and think about what is your priority. And in reality, you know, most of you might say, and it would sound pretty good, that, you know, my priority is God. That sounds really good. sounds really simple. But your actions are what really show what your priorities are, okay? Um, There's a Bible verse that I want to share, which is Matthew 6.33, which is, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, if you first seek God and his kingdom and all the things that he wants you to seek and do, all the other things that you want will be added onto you. So that's the number one priority, seeking God, putting him first. So that's really what we must do. Now ask yourself, what is the top of your priority? You know, once you're gone, you know, people are not going to remember all the stuff you had. People are not going to remember, you know, the job you had, the car you drove, the vacations you took. You know, they're going to remember how you impacted other people. They're going to remember the causes that you lived for and actually, I say live for because you you show it in your life. You show it about what you do. And you really know that when things get bad how you react to those things. When when you're going through a tough time, if all of a sudden you drop everything and you start doing some other things, then all of a sudden, you know, that really wasn't your priority. That was just convenient when everything was good, that's kind of what I'm doing. But when things get bad, that's really when you know what your priorities are in life. Um, so again, that's pretty much what we talked about the last couple of weeks through Pastor Chris, which is what legacy are you leaving behind? He mentioned the example of Michael Jordan. He is the best basketball player in the history of mankind, in our opinion, obviously. And he's won every award possible. He owns an NBA team. He's a billionaire. And he's getting to an age. he even married a Cuban girl. Imagine that, you know? So, you know, all of a sudden, life comes and he... He's now thinking about his legacy, and he doesn't want his legacy to be about being a basketball player or about owning a basketball team. He's thinking about how can I impact other people in a way that goes beyond basketball. And so what he did is he invested over $7 million in opening up a couple of clinics in his hometown, a free clinic for people that are struggling, people that don't have funds, people that just need medical care. And and really, that's what he says he wants to be about. That's what he wants his legacy to be. And he said he's just getting started. So here we have somebody that had everything you can want. You know, money, fame, fortune. And yet, that's not enough. It's really about other people and caring for other people. Shouldn't that be an example for all of us? Okay? So, now we get to my message today. And my message today is never give up never surrender. Before we start, they always tell you when you do public speaking, you should share a little joke. So all of a sudden, I'm trying to follow the guidelines because I haven't talked in a while, okay? So there's this guy that decides to go to the Northwest and he wants to go uh, traveling to the Northwest and, and take a vacation. and He wants to go hiking, right? So maybe you've heard this joke. He's hiking and they tell him, hey, you got to be careful. There's a lot of angry bears out there. So be really, really careful when you're out there. So he goes hiking, he goes, hey, no problem, I'm a Christian, God's going to protect me. So he goes hiking, and all of a sudden, you know, no problem the first day, no problem the second day. Then the third day, he sees this bear, and the bear locks eyes with him, and it's coming ferociously towards him to eat him. And all of a sudden, he's such a great Christian, such a man of faith, he, put, he just looks up to God and God, God, please, you know, convert this bear into a Christian. And all of a sudden, the bear freezes in his tracks. And he goes, ah, God, I knew it, I knew it. And all of a sudden that bear puts falls together and goes, God, thank you for this food I'm about to eat. <laughs> so, moral of my story is, that's kind of how my year's been, okay? <laughs> Bad things happen to good people, even when you have good intentions, all right? And that's kind of been uh, the thing for me. So... Let me share it with you. More than anything, usually when I've gotten up here and, and talked in the past and stuff like that, I, um, I get some v- cool videos and things. And today it's really just going to be me talking from the heart. Okay? I want you all to. Uh, well, I want to share my testimony because I think it really aligns with uh, with what Pastor Chris has been talking about about having 2020 vision, and hopefully it can help one of you, some of you. That would be just great. Um, Most of you that know me really don't know me, okay? I've had a little bit of a challenging life. Um, When I was born, um, and they, you know, in the hospital, they put you in the little baby nursery, there was a sickness that other kids got, and I think it was four or five babies died right then and there, and I picked it up, and they told my parents that I was going to die if they, you know, if they didn't do something about it, and they didn't know how to treat that. Um, so they told them that the one doctor that knew how to treat that very effectively was an American doctor that lived in Madrid. So imagine my mom delivers, I'm born, and within four days, we're taking a trip to Madrid. My parents sell everything so that I can go to Spain and be treated. And there was no guarantee, but lo and behold, the, you know, it worked and, and I'm here, but that was my start to life. Um, uh, then, Three years later, when I was three, I lost my father and my uncle in an airplane accident. And that was about as devastating to me as you can imagine, you know. Uh, My mom, you know, never remarried after that. She was like, you know, forget it. I kind of give up on that. Um, If that wasn't bad enough, um, a lot of people don't know about this. Um, My mom was so traumatized about that. My father crashed in the mountains in Puerto Rico, you know, El Yunque is what they call it. So my mom was so devastated because when something like that happens, you don't find a body. It's incinerated pretty much. So on the weekends, my mother would take me searching for my dad because she couldn't accept that he passed away. So here I am, four years old, going to find my father with my mom. That was my childhood. My sisters later on, years later, told me that I didn't say a word from the time my dad died until I was about five or six didn't say a word, didn't say a word. I don't remember my childhood till I was about five or six years old. Okay. After that, my grandmother was so terrified that my mom was going to lose it that she pretty much didn't let me leave the house. She was scared that I would go out and something would happen to me. And then what would happen to my mom? So lo and behold, I was a prisoner in my own house. You know, I didn't have friends. I couldn't go out and play. All I did was watch TV and play with my little soldiers so that was that was my life that was my life okay um, I also was born with an issue that makes my hands tremble a little bit, and obviously, my players know about that because in the middle of games, I'll be like this, it looks like I'm leading our conduction, you know uh you know if you see me drinking something, it's two hands and drinking soup it's an adventure, you know so that's something that, that I've always had to deal with. And for somebody that, that I think is very confident, you know, that really bothers me, better one. There's such is life. Um, on top of that, eventually, my older sister married a gentleman who was older, and he became like my father figure. Taught me how to play tennis. Tennis was my favorite sport. Used to play in tournaments and things like that. And eventually, he fell into a deep depression, and he committed suicide. So that was my... Uh, that was my childhood. That was me growing up. Okay. Um, eventually, um, I go to UM on a music scholarship playing drums, and I walk on the football team. I'm actually on the football team, and lo and behold, three weeks into it, two, three weeks into it, I ruptured my disc in practice. That's the end of football, and I had to have surgery, lost my music scholarship. So that was the end of that. Eventually, I, um, I start working, going to school at night, and uh, I start working for a trading company. They would trade liquefied petroleum gas, propane gas. And I was the assistant to the uh, general manager for all Latin America. And after about four or five months, I actually got promoted to take his position. So here I was, 21 years old, traveling around in Lear jets all over Latin America, negotiating multi-million dollar deals and you know the thing that killed my dad was traveling in planes and here i'm doing it and one of the things that i developed is whatever is a fear that's what i'm going to do because i'm not going to let fear take a hold of me so that's what i did and i traveled all the time doing that i thought i was going to be mega millionaire because here i am at 21 doing all this fun stuff and lo and behold, the company decides to shift its resources to the Middle East because they have huge tankers and things like that. So they offer me a transfer to Greece, and I don't take it because I, I just didn't want to go there. I'd rather stay here. So again, start back up again from the beginning. Then I become the area manager. Well, I become an executive vice president with Citicorp. I'm running their largest office in southeast U.S., Everything's going great, making good money, you know, growing this and that. And then the merger between the travelers group and city group happens. And all of a sudden, the money I was making is dramatically cut. I get frustrated. That changed again. You see a common theme about change and challenges. (laughs) Um, Next thing that happens is I get offered a position with Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. And I'm managing half the state of Florida, about 30 offices about 200 people. So things are looking up again, you know, doing my thing. Um, Eventually, I decide to leave all that and open up my own business consulting firm. And I also invest. I buy a tropical palm tree nursery uh, for about a million something, uh, about 10 acres and 5 acres, so 15 acres combined. And we're selling to all the United States and Canada. And the gentleman who had it had a huge inventory because he had a hard time selling the stuff. In about four months, I went through everything they had and sold it. So I had nothing to sell. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty good, I guess, but oh, I kind of outdid myself there. And then when I think everything's looking up, Hurricane Katrina, before hitting New Orleans, <laughs> passes by here. And it passes by my nursery, of all things. And it spurred uh, tornadoes. So my nursery destroyed, totally destroyed. Okay? So within a span of six months, I pretty much lose everything I had, went through a divorce, and, and here we are again, you know? Um, but then something happened when I went through all that. I started doing what Pastor Chris has been telling all of us to do, which is to put God first. Put God first. I accepted Christ when I was in seventh grade at Dade Christian School. And it's the best thing I did. And, And Christ talks to us through our passions. And through me, it was basketball. Whenever I would play basketball or I was in the team, whether it was good stuff that was happening to me or bad stuff that was happening to me, I felt a connection to God that I didn't feel through any other thing. And that really helped me. And I was probably the worst player to ever play, but the fact that I was able to make the team and work hard and I was contributing meant the world to me. And what I focused on is doing what I thought I could do, which is the stuff anybody could do that takes no talent, which is rebounding, setting picks, and passing the ball. And everybody loved playing with me because I didn't take any shots away from anybody, right? So it was good. It was good. Everybody wanted to play with me. Everybody wanted me to be with them. So because I didn't have a dad, I had nobody to teach me. And so I would see all the kids going to practice and they would be kind of at the same level than me and then they would go home for the weekend and they'd come back and they'd be better because their parents worked with them. And I had nobody. And my mom couldn't afford individual classes or anything. So back then, before the Internet, I would go to John F. Kennedy Library in Hialeah, and they had coaching books on basketball, and that's what I got. And I would see how you would do everything technique-wise. So I got to the point that I had better technique. I didn't have talent, but I had the right technique that you're supposed to have. And the coaches saw that, and they started asking me to help out in practices, help you know, people out, and they eventually asked me to coach the little kids, the elementary school, basketball team, which I did, and and that's how I got into coaching back in 12th grade. So there, God took what was meant to destroy me and turned it into a strength, which I think, you know, one of the things I've learned is if you've ever gone through anything bad, if you ever have an illness, if you ever have a struggle, that was put there by purpose, and that's going to be associated to your calling. That's going to be associated to what difference you can make on this earth. I guarantee you that because I've seen it time and time again with people, okay? So I remarry again and and I find a consulting gig here in Florida, in, in the United States. I start working for a startup called u It was, they created a virtual tour of Central Park, three guys in a, in a graduate program or NYU, and they wanted to market that and sell that to other companies Uh, and specifically universities because they thought you know what this is a great way for you to to look at a university without traveling there saves you money and then you kind of can wiggle down from 20 schools that you're looking at to three and it's a virtual tour so you feel like you're walking around campus and it's really really cool so at the time they had nothing (laughs) but i believed in them i believed in the idea so lo and behold i said they couldn't afford me but i said you know what I'm going to go with you guys because I believe in you. So lo and behold, I started working with them. And that job lasted nine years. And in those nine years, I was fortunate enough to be able to work out of my home. And the company grew to be number one in the world at what they do, which is creating virtual tours. I personally helped them get Harvard. I helped them get Duke, Vanderbilt, UCLA, Georgia Tech, University of Miami, Florida State, on and on and on and on and on. And I did that without leaving my house. I did that selling through the phone and through my computer doing video conferences because the company didn't have budgets to send us traveling, stuff like that. So when I joined that company, part of my what I expected and thought was that I would get stock if I helped them grow. But that never materialized, right? That never materialized. I was making good money, but you know, that never materialized. So that was kind of another hit that I took. I also told them that, you know, you're limiting yourselves by only going after colleges. Having been in the military, I thought, you know, um, it'd be really cool if if you can go ahead and you can do offer this to the military, you know, and and I got them the, the two biggest accounts in their history, the U.S. Army account, which they use for recruiting. It's the number one tool they have online and also the Air Force Academy. So I did my part of it. But then everything was going good. I was coaching at St. Brennan's. We had a 22-win season, lost about six games, um, but everything was cool. And then my life slowly started to shift. Not that I did anything wrong or anything like that. It just happens. Um, My older son got into a really freak accident. And lo and behold, um, it really impacted him. And I didn't realize how much it impacted him. And I started to feel guilty that I wasn't spending enough time with him. I would travel with him to get his therapy and and stuff that he needed to get in Tampa. And it was, you know, once every couple of weeks, excuse me, once every couple of months. And each one of those therapies cost about $7,000. So it was really, really rough, but I was doing that. But it got to the point that I felt so guilty that I I left St. Brennan's and I quit. And there were other reasons because, again, if you're not happy, you're looking for reasons. But I left because I wanted to spend more time with my son. I wanted my son to see that he was... Higher priority than basketball, which meant a lot to me, all right? When I did that, my son got really upset. (laughs) He's like, Dad, you can't do that. I feel worse now. How could you do that? Go back, go back. And I go, no, I can't go back, you know? Uh, You know, I'm not going to go back. You know, know, one of my best friends, my assistant coach got that. I recommended him. He's going to do great. You know, I I don't want to go there. And the position at Florida Christian opened up, and after a lot of prayer and stuff like that, I eventually accepted it, and I realized that that's where God wanted me to be. And a lot of things shifted for me to to get that happening. So I thought that was about as rough as it was going to get. But then my son in January comes to me, and and I see his reactions, his, his behavior changes, and he basically tells me, Dad, you know, I'm addicted to opioids, because of that accident, I got stuck and I, and I started taking pain medication, and it's really, really bad. And I could tell it was really bad. So, obviously, I did what any father would do. I basically told him, son, let's go and let's get you into a treatment program. But my son's 28 years old. I can't force somebody that's an adult to do something they don't want to do. So, I did what I thought any other parent would do. I basically quit my job. And I said, you know what, if you don't want to go to treatment, treatment will come to you. So being that I was a business consultant, I researched the best clinics that did detox. And I created a software program that I could track in Excel all the medications he was taking, which were wrong. And I researched the type of dosage drop off over a period of time that you had to do. I also researched the diets that they should have. I researched everything, the amount of uh, everything, everything, everything. And he didn't have a car. I moved him into, you know, a room at the house. And that was it. That was my work full time, taking care of him. And the worst thing is he didn't want anybody to find out. So I couldn't tell my wife. (laughs) I just had to tell him, hey, Ryan moved in with us. He's going through a tough time and that's it. But she couldn't figure out everything. So here I am. Uh, I can't let him leave the house because obviously he has an addiction problem. So I'm taking care of him full time and doing all this stuff. And little by little, he began to get better. He began to get better. Um, it was tough. It was rough. Uh, but he began to get better. Eventually, I had to tell my wife because she thought, you know, we had a, you know, we should call a priest and do an exorcism or something in the room. I mean, it was kind of weird. But um, I eventually told my wife and and everybody understood. and And here I am doing all this stuff. And one of the things I told them when we're going through this is, you know, I'm a big World War II guy. I love World War II. And usually the enemy fights the hardest when you're close to victory. That's that way in war, and that's the way in life. And one of the things I did is I sat down and I saw a movie with them about the Battle of the Bulge in World War II, which is when the Americans thought they had won the war. It was close to Christmas. They thought they were going to go home. And what Hitler did is he shifted Most of his best units from the eastern front fighting Russia to the west and during a really bad blizzard did a counterattack and started wiping out all the Americans. And they picked a time where there was heavy fog where the Americans who had air superiority couldn't fly. So like that, they could just destroy everybody. So again, when they thought they won the war, here comes the best that the enemy has to offer. So I told my son, son, you got to hold on. You got to hold on. And I shared with them the example of Baston. Baston was a small town in France that was surrounded by the Germans. And they were getting wiped out. And all of a sudden, the German general basically told the, uh, the gentleman, the, the American that was in charge of that place, and he basically told them, listen, you know, surrender, or you guys are going to be wiped out. And the response that the American general said was, you're nuts. I'm not going to give up. And that motivated so much the Americans, that General Patton, did the unthinkable. In the middle of a snowstorm, he took his his tank battalion and rushed across and actually got there and saved them. So I used that example with my son. And I took my dog tags and I told him, son, I want you to wear this. And as long as you wear it, I want you to remember you're in a war. And I'm with you. And we're fighting this together. You go down, I go down. You can't give up. And he started wearing them. He would wear them around the house. And anytime time I would ask him, hey, you're looking weak. You all right? He goes, nuts. And I know he was fighting. I know he was fighting. So that kept me going. Lo and behold, one day I leave the house to go pick up my younger son and, uh, from school and take him home. And when I get back home, I, uh, I go into Ryan's room and I found him passed out. I started doing CPR and and calling paramedics, but unfortunately, he passed away. And the funny thing is, I learned CPR in the military, and the first time I used it is with my son. And that was tough, and I I couldn't do it. I promised him I would get him through it, and I couldn't do it. And after you go through something like that, the beginning, I was very strong because I had to be strong for people. I had to be strong for my son, my younger son. I had to be strong for my wife, for my daughters, I had to be strong for everybody. So if you would have seen me at the funeral, I looked okay. I got up there, I talked, I did everything right. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was good. It was okay. But then after that, I crashed, crashed big time. I could not leave my house. I couldn't leave my room. Okay. I, I was just, I couldn't believe that something like this would happen to my son or happen to me and and it was really tough it was really tough it was really tough and i stopped coaching for a little bit because i just didn't want anybody to be around me i would go into places and i felt like you know nobody knows how to talk to somebody that lost their son what do you say i would feel bad for people you know <laughs> what are they going to tell you you know so i just went into hibernation and during all this you know i had A close knit group of family and friends that were care for me and stuff like that. But what really stood out was my church, my pastors and my church here at Numa. You know, it was an endless line of people visiting my house, bringing food, bringing things, and just caring for me. And it was just amazing. I never experienced that in my life. I never experienced that in my life. Um, There was a retreat. Um, and all of a sudden, they're saying, you know what? We're inviting you, Peter, and, and your wife. I want you to come. Um, my wife is in a retreat this weekend. Again, the, you know, people take, somebody up, stood up and took care of them. I haven't earned a paycheck since January. And and people have just been taking care of me. And frankly, my brain wasn't working right till about a month ago, you know. And I could tell you that when you think about, I can't understand how somebody could go through all this stuff and not and go through it without having faith in God. I just can't understand that. And I can't understand how you can go through that without be, be, being a member of a church like this one and having a pastor like the one we have like the one we have here because it's made all the difference in my world. And and I just, you know, I I'm just very very thankful. So when I tell you all this story and all these different things, there's a Bible verse that I want to share which is Matthew 5.45, which is that so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, just because you're good, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you. Bad things happen to all of us. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're unlucky. When it rains, everybody gets wet. That's outdoors. You know, and when there's good weather, everybody enjoys it. And that's kind of what happened to me. And the one thing that throttled this experience with my son and things like that, I am so thankful to God. Because I started going to a, a, um, a grieving parents group. Talk about a fun group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Parties there are great, you know. Uh, can't wait. Uh, <laughs> so, Go there, and, and here I am going to hopefully, you know, feel better. And I show up in there, and there's people there that, that you know, you had parents there that lost their kids 15 years ago. And, and they're still going to those meetings. And you had, and I started listening to their stories. And, you know, most of them were kids that committed suicide or kids that they took off on their cars and never got home. They got into a car crash or something like that. And you know what? I walked out of there thanking God because God gave me the opportunity to spend my last several months with my son taking care of him. That's a blessing. I get, my son got to see the best of me. You know, he saw me divorcing. He saw me at a time in my life when I wasn't the best guy. But man, God made it so that he could see the best of me. He saw what my priority was. He saw the impact that this church had on me. He saw the impact that, that, that all of you here had on me. And that made a world of difference in his life. And you know what? Made a world of difference in my life. Because most parents don't get that chance. So when you see somebody here, I want you to know I consider myself the luckiest guy alive. I really do. Because I have God. That is my priority. I have a great church. And I got people that care about me. And that's all you can hope. That's all you can hope. So you're going to go through some tough times in your life. Man, if you're not a member of a church, this is a great one. You know, call me. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you know me or not. I'm here for you to help you in anything and everything that I can. One more thing that I want to share before I finish is that the most amazing thing happened in the middle of all this, which is one time I tried to get my son to go to a hospital to be Baker-acted. Baker-acted is that when you force them to take them and keep them there. And lo and behold, I took them to, uh, I won't say the hospital's name so they don't get in trouble, but I took them there and they basically tell me, you know what, he's not bad enough. He's not bad enough. So, you know, at the end of the day, they're not going to keep him. But something happened while I was there. There In the waiting room, there was this guy who was out of his mind. Okay, because it was for people with drug problems. And this guy was out of his mind. He looked like he was 30s. He was in shorts, a basketball t-shirt. He had a plastic empty cup. And he looked like he hadn't bathed in weeks. And he was just acting crazy. He was saying that he wanted to be the next president of the United States. And he also said he wanted to combine Venezuela and Colombia and call it Cozuela, a new country. And he was going to be the president there. So my son is looking at him terrified. I'm looking at him terrified. My son's fiance was there next to him, and she's looking at him terrified. And in the middle of all this, everybody else that's sitting there, they're all scared looking at him. And this guy gets up, gets right in front of my son's face. And I'm like, oh, boy, it's go time. And uh, he basically says, is that guy your dad pointing at me? And my son goes, yeah. And he looks at him, he looks at me, and he goes, you are so lucky to have your father here because I don't have my dad here. You don't know the impact that I made in my son. All of a sudden, I started asking him about his father and, and his mom, and he tells me, listen, my parents are in, in Ohio, and they don't want anything with me. They just gave up on me, and I'm here. And and I basically told him, listen, I, I'm sorry about that, but, but you know, before you leave, because he just got his medications and he was about to leave. And I go, do you mind if I pray for you? Mind you, this whole place was filled with people. So I asked him to, to sit next to me and I put my arm around him and I grab his hands and I start praying for him. And his name was Colin. And I go, Colin, you know, I know what's happened to you. I know it's tough, but I want you to know your real dad's in heaven and, and he's there for you. And, and you're going to get better. All this stuff is going to turn to be your strength. Yeah, I could see you're going to be helping people. You're going to help change people's lives. You're going to be doing good. And that kid starts crying. That's crying. He tells me, I can't remember the last time somebody prayed for me. And he's crying. He's bawling. And I think everybody in that waiting room is bawling. And, and when we finish, he gives me a hug. And, and I just ask him, listen, give me your phone number, your cell phone, so I could just you know, follow up with you, see how you're doing. And he said, yeah. And that was it. And after all that, my son looks at me, he goes, Dad, you're a great guy, but you're crazy. <laughs> and I go, now you figure that out? So we go back home. Happens to be the next day, Good Friday, and we we're going to be having services here. So all of a sudden I say, oh, let me check up on Colin. So I call him up on the cell phone. He tells me, oh, Coach Peter, oh, Pastor Peter. He was calling me Pastor Peter because he thought I was a pastor. And I'm like, I'm not a pastor. So he tells me, Pastor Peter, um, I got kicked out of where I was staying at. I don't know what to do. I'm here, blah, 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 blah. And I go, listen, don't worry about it. I'm going to go pick you up. And I'm thinking, I'm going to take him to Camilla's house. And if you get there before 4.30, you can spend the night there and they'll feed you. And So I go pick him up. And as I we're driving over there, he starts telling me, Pastor Pete, not a pastor, but a one. Um, I can't believe this is happening to me because I got a $10,000 check on me. And, and, and I'm like, you got a $10,000 check on you. I think he's crazy. Obviously, the president of Cazuela wouldn't, wouldn't be doing this. So I tell him, because I used to be a banker, let me see your check. So he takes out the check, and it looks like a check from Charles Schwab, $10,000. And I'm like, okay, let's call the bank. So we call the bank, and they knew him. <laughs> And all of a sudden he starts telling me that he was a millionaire and in a span of, of a couple of days, he lost everything. And that triggered him getting into drugs and alcohol and the whole ball of wax. And that's why his family gave up on him. And I'm like, well, being a former banker, I don't want you to get access to this cash because you're going to buy it in drugs. So I, you know, I basically took him to the bank and I basically told him to put a hold on it. And I was going to get a hold of their family so that they could get a court order to manage his funds so that he couldn't get worse. So in the middle of that, I tell him, let's have lunch. And we're talking, and he's telling me all these stories and stuff like that. And during that lunch, I actually convinced him to go to a hospital. And I took him to a hospital, Kendall Regional, and I was able to get him Baker Acted. And to make a long story short, he got out of there. He got you know, he seemed better. He got access to his money. The family said, you know, let him have the money, you know, whatever. If he hits rock bottom, whatever. So, but at least I felt I did my thing and my son got to see that. And I thought that was it. After every once in a while, I would check on him. Then the day my son died, which was May the 6th, the next day I wake up in the morning and I decide, you know what, I'm going to call Colin's parents. And I'm just going to tell him, you know what, I just lost my son. Whatever you do, don't give up on your boy. You know, come get him, call him, bring him. You don't want that guilt. At least I did everything I could. You don't want to live with that if something happens to him. So I left that voicemail and nobody called me back. An hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. All of a sudden, later that day, my phone rings and it's calling And when I pick it up, he's crying. And I'm like, oh, boy, I got to go pick him up again. I'm really not up to it now. But he tells me, "Uh, Pastor Pete, Pastor Pete, um, I heard that Ryan passed away. I can't believe it. He was so much better than I was. You're such a good person. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I I can't believe it either. But, you know, and I asked him, how are you doing? And he goes, Pastor Pete, after you talked to my family and you talked to me, my family came and got me. And they brought me to Ohio. And I'm here with them and I started a detox program and I'm doing so much better. You saved my life. Now, it rains on everybody and the sun shines on everybody. I can't figure out why God decided to let me impact Colin in such a wonderful way and for him to live. And I can't figure out why he took my son. But me thinking it's because... If, I already, if I've only been missing my son for like five or six months and I miss him terribly, I can imagine how much his heavenly father misses him not having had him for 29 years. And now he has him again. And I'll have him again. So I share all this because this is what life's about. It's, this is when you're tested. And, and your actions speak about what your priorities are in life. So what is the legacy that I want for me? It's not about money my legacy they're sitting right there those girls right there my son that's my legacy the people that I can positively impact I may not be the greatest coach in the world who am I kidding I am no Uh, but if I could take life lessons and all the mistakes I've made and impact somebody positively and they can impact their kids and their friends and stuff like that then you know what I got a good legacy My son did good. My son served his purpose. And my son wanted to help other people. Rest of my life, I don't know what God has in store for me, but I know I'm going to be dedicating to doing what I'm doing here, which is talking about my son, talking about my life, and trying to help people in the best way they can. Okay? Before we leave, I want to congratulate my son. He got accepted into FIU uh, for the fall. Uh, He's had the toughest time. He not only had to deal with the passing of his brother, but he was a starting you know, a starting, you know, football player at St. Brennan's. He dislocated his kneecap really badly. He couldn't play football, couldn't play basketball. And what did he do? He warriored up. He had the best grades he's ever had in his whole life. He improved his SAT scores, and he accomplished goal number one. You're a warrior. Thank you. Uh, folks. It's all about your legacy, not about the money. It's how you impact people. It's how you help people. And it's about how you serve God's purposes with what God has given you.